I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Ian Rickson. I'm a theatre director. And welcome to my podcast, What I Love. In all the time I've worked in the theatre, I've been lucky to meet some extraordinary artists. In this series, I speak with some of them in the silence of an empty theatre stage and ask them about three things that they love, a song, a film, and a piece of writing. I'm looking to discover why we especially cherish certain things and how we reveal ourselves through the things we love. Theatre producing doesn't tend to be one of those professions that careers advisors have on their lists. There isn't an obvious ladder to climb or logical set of steps that one has to check off. Theatre producing is one of those job titles that people only seem to accept for themselves once they've been doing the job for a long time. Sonia Friedman, hugely successful West End and Broadway producer, has definitely earned the title. She began her career as a dresser, then worked as a stage manager, then in an education department before becoming a producer. She set up her own company in London almost 20 years ago and in that time has steered almost 200 productions including The Book of Mormon, Jerusalem, Dreamgirls and The Jungle. We met in September 2020 on the stage of the Palace Theatre on London's Shaftesbury Avenue, where her production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child had been playing before lockdown. So it's a Friday evening, and I'm sitting on the stage at the Palace Theatre with Sonia Friedman. This is the epicentre of the West End, and Sonia is one of the most dynamic powerful and adventurous producers we have. At any other time on a Friday evening, there would be tens of thousands of theatre workers getting ready. And tonight, Sonia, there are two people, me and you. And when we recently went round some theatres, right at the beginning of lockdown, I got quite tearful. And you said to me, no, it's okay. They're waiting. They're in good shape. Mm. Almost like the theatres were just in rest and ready for us. Whereas today, I feel it's different for you coming to a theatre that you produce so much work in and it's such a beautiful theatre. How are you feeling? Oh, yes. Um, Well, when I walked through the stage door moments ago, I was actually fine walking up the street, looking forward to this conversation got a little sad passing a couple of theatres where my shows are currently on hold in waiting, seeing that the front of house and the streets where there'd normally be audiences waiting to come in, now tables and chairs, and so our front of houses have been turned into cafes on the street. 
Um, so, you know, I began to get a bit anxious walking towards the palace and then walking up the side alley, looking at the posters for our show, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which are now dirty and dusty. You know, you can write your name in it. They're so dirty at the moment. And then opening the door, coming in, this wave, wave of memories and emotion. And I, I, I'm, I'm still in shock, Ian. Yeah. I'm still in shock at what's happened to our industry, mm. what's happened to my company, what's happened to us. And, of course, what we're going to be talking about now, I expect, is as much as anything about memory and history and the past and wondering what the future is. And, and now here sitting in this theatre, which is so beautiful, and I do have a huge history with it. I first came here when I was... 12 and a half years old and it's unchanged apart from a lick of paint um, I, I just hope that this isn't my past and it can also be my future Yeah. and that time that you're talking about when we went around looking at all those theatres together for a project was obviously quite surreal because it was mid-lockdown. But I did feel a great wave of hope and optimism walking into all those theatres. They feel so strong. Their walls have so much history. And they were there before us. And they'll be there after us. And I do feel that these theatres are just here in waiting patiently and proudly for us um, but my emotion today is actually to do with will will I be there when these theatres are ready to open again how long is this going to go on for yeah I'm completely with you and and there's something really potent about the actual environment and theatres seem to be where you found your belonging. I think you were a dresser when you were a teenager and after that stage manager and you worked in an education department and you ran a small company and you've probably spent more time building families in theatres than your own life. Well, yes. Um, it's all I know. From the earliest age, I was in love not necessarily with theatre, but with stories and telling stories or writing stories with my older brother and recording them. And, and they were plays. I didn't know they were plays at the time, but they were plays. They were slightly absurd, but they were stories with music and singing and dancing. And in thinking about today and preparing for this conversation, I've been thinking a huge amount about theatre and where I fit in to the future of it. Um, from the age of 16, I have never not been working in some way in a theatre. I left school when I was 16 and immediately got 
part-time jobs. I was a follow spot operator at the King's Head Theatre when I was 16. I was a dresser, actually, when I was younger, at 15 at Chichester Festival Theatre with Frankie Howard and June Whitfield. I was on the crew of loads of West End shows between the age of 16 and 18, always working, as well as studying. Went to drama school. So theatre's always been in my life, and I've not had a day since... 16 where I've not had a show I'm either rehearsing or stage managing or producing in my life and so to have that absolutely ripped away from you in such a brutal way decades later I'm still processing it of course producers all over the world are imagining how they can diversify and use their skills and transferable ways and I'm having to wrap my head around that possibility but that possibility is is really really distressing yeah because your role in the tribe is to make the art happen to help it happen to curate suggest prod and midwife it into happening and over the last four months, you've often been doing the opposite, making people redundant, closing things, and the psychic pain of that will take a long time to no, process. No, I, I, um, I made a speech a few weeks ago. It's almost like you were listening to it, Ian, what you just said then, talking about everything I'm doing at the moment is unnatural. What I feel I was, you know born to do is to create, to nurture, to support, to build, to encourage, to enable, and as you say, to create little families and let those families feel safe and exist and grow so that they can go onto a stage and just be wonderful. But now what I'm doing is I'm dismantling, I'm destroying I'm breaking up, I'm tearing apart, I'm making redundant. And it's taken me 25 years to build my company and I'm having to be quite um, strong and brave about keeping going um, and also be very mindful of how lucky I am in the context of the rest of the planet and the world and try and keep everything in proportion. So there are days when it just feels just devastating and there are other days where I'm deeply grateful for what I do have and the fact that physically I'm okay, mentally, you know, it's been up and down to be honest, but I'm here. And I'm hanging on and I'm having to convince myself and everybody around me that I will be still here at the other side of it, whatever that looks like. Um, but I don't know when that is. When the pandemic started, theatre said it was going to be back in June. June sailed by and then it was back in September. And we don't know now. And I think I've stopped trying to figure that out. I've stopped trying to sort of set our 
calendar to the virus and when the virus is or isn't going to be eradicated or the vaccine found or testing in place. You know, I'm going to be patient now, but along the way, try and find ways to keep creating. Yeah. And we're hovering around your first offering today, which is a beautiful song sung by your sister. And it's making me think about early life in the Friedman household, because the pandemic for me propels me back into quite an infantile state where I'm thinking, who's in charge? Are there any elders? Will they be able to find provisions? How can I live with uncertainty? That there's a kind of regression of self amidst such uncertainty. And it feels to me like the early Sonia was quite ingenious in corralling her family. You've got a singer sister, you've got a producer brother, you've got a violinist brother, you've got a doctor sister, um, a pianist mother. Mm. Uh, and your father was a violinist, but he wasn't around. And maybe something of that tenaciousness and resourcefulness and ingenuity will get you through. Yeah, I think that what will also get me through is the fact that we did have a very unconventional childhood and every day was different and we didn't have a routine. So we had to as kids, be quite ingenious just to survive, really. I think it's fair to say that if we were living today in the circumstances we lived then, probably would be put out to foster care. We didn't really have very much um, parental support. My mum was not around a lot and, and struggled a huge amount in my early childhood. And... We were four kids sort of left to our own devices, to be honest. And that makes you grow up very, very quickly. And it, it means that I probably have an inner strength that I'm not even aware of. But I guess I do have some extraordinary resilience because I do keep just sort of going, even though sometimes the odds seem stacked against me. What we escaped into were stories, and I'm now figuring out what are those stories I can lose myself in, and how do we do it. But also, this time, I mean, I kept very um, jealous of people who say that this lockdown, this, this period, has been a huge time of reflection and peace and quiet and thinking. I've, I've had no time for that, very little. It's been crisis after crisis after crisis. Uh, but one thing's absolute is that I am locked in my memories. I'm going back in time. And I'm thinking about my childhood more than I ever have done. My mum has passed away and part of me is extremely relieved that she's not here through this time. She actually died of flu and pneumonia and she was a terrible asthmatic so it would have been terribly frightening to have had my mum live through this period but at the same time I've got no one to turn to as a 
you know, as a woman now with no parents. But of course, who can advise you, help you, tell you what to do, how to be? I mean, we're going through the most historic time, and so you're having to dig so deep to find the way through and find your own answers to something that is almost unanswerable. And because you're an, I don't want to say an industry leader, but because I have a lot of experience and I've done a lot, <laughs> there is a sense that I may have answers that people don't, and I just don't. You know, I think early on in the first few months, I wanted to be like leading the charge and I wanted to have something important to say, but I realised that none of us, not even the government, not even the scientists at the moment really know how this is all going to play out. And if they do... Can they please tell us? Yeah. Sometimes I see in our perspective a kind of triptych of past, present, future. And where are you biasing yourself in each of those thirds? Often a producer is really involved in immediate future and you're working out how to generate things on the short term and on the medium term. Even though you've not had space for reflection, you're saying actually you're spending some time in past and you're first offering to us today The Golden Days, which is a song sung by your sister Maria Friedman from 1995, written by Jeremy Sams. Oh, Jeremy Sams wrote the lyrics specifically for Maria and our family. Was I always cold? The games I used to play Always end in tears And at ten years old Did every summer's day Last a hundred years Then the endless rain All the doors that used to slam Was it joy or pain That made me what I am In the gold Why choose this song? The Golden Days comes from a cabaret show that I produced for my sister back in 94, actually, at mm. the Donmar. It's called The Golden Days, but there's an irony to it because it's not, it was not all golden. There was a lot of sadness. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of confusion. But at its heart, it's saying, I wouldn't have changed a thing about my past and about our past. And to have... My sister singing it makes it even more profound, obviously, because it's an immediate umbilical cord to me. And when I first got the lyrics through for this, when I was producing the show, I was a lot younger, a lot less experienced. And the lyrics didn't, you know, I went, oh, that's nice, you know. Um, but now it's very, very meaningful and very profound. And, and I love my family so much. And we're all struggling in our own ways right now desperately trying to reconnect through this period and this song helps me remind myself of what an extraordinary family we were um, how tenacious and how strong and most importantly that 
whilst I look back on my childhood, there's nothing I would have changed because it's made me who I am. Yeah, the song has real ambivalence about the past, doesn't it? The, the pain, the... Um, door slams. Yeah. My God, I remember the door slammings mm. in my childhood. But I also remember the music playing mm. all the time. Mm. Um, but to have that as a piece of music that can you know, carry through, through my life that I haven't really thought about before as an important song until we had the conversation. Mm. There are many songs we could have chatted about today, but in, I wouldn't have been being truthful and it's not necessarily my favourite song, but it's something that I connect to right now in this moment of my life. If you think of the door slam and the act of defiance of that and playing truant and being on your own and there's a lyric, isn't there? Was I really so recalcitrant and wild? Some of those energies that you need to slam a door, to go off on your own, to be recalcitrant, to be wild, can go into producing, can't they? Where you have to be so robust and bold, and sometimes as a woman, really tough in some of those rooms you go into, and particularly now. Fearless. Yes, I mean, what I fail to say that when I was young, but you brought it up, um is, yeah, I had a very wild period. And it's also, I think, ultimately the reason why I'm a producer, because my family all left home very, very quickly, in quick succession, when I was about 10. And Maria, Rick and Sarah, all within the same six months, left home, and it just left me on my own. And that was a very, very distressing time, to have had so much love and then suddenly nothing. And that's when I went slightly off the rails. And, yes, I I didn't go to school for a a good year. I truanted and was very, very good at it. And I have a diary for that period. Um, Every day, almost every other day, has an entry saying, no school today, depressed, no school today, go to the river, no school today, Susanna's. I don't really put any much more, but you know what? I don't need any more. I remember every entry. I remember what that meant, the river, Susanna's. These were places I went to with other young people who were as lost as I was. And it took about a year for the school to catch up, and I got expelled. Yeah, I mean, you weren't conforming, and you're outsiderness because theatre is full of orphans as you know so many actors come from strange backgrounds and they need the containing familial form of theatre and you chose not to belong in that school and possibly develop some skills amidst that challenging period and you get it in the song the kind of uh, paradoxes in the song and then gradually you came out of that and found the, the belonging which is amazing and I was thinking about the last verse I don't know whether you can read it. <laughs> but I need to know if the past is what it seems or just a rosy glow of memories and dreams in a golden haze in the golden days. Yeah. And that's rich, isn't it? Because 
it feels like <laughs> theatre, a life of making theatre. And a theme I imagine for you through these choices is the unreliability and malleability of memory and how you tell the stories from your past and then how you use them to keep going. Yeah, I mean, Ian, you know me very, very well. And I so wish I could be a director. I so wish I could be a writer. I so wish I could be a singer. Look, I'm crying during this. I so wish I could be a poet. I so wish I could be a painter or a pianist. But I was never quite good at it. But the difficulty you've got right now, I've, I've got right now, is, you know, call it a gift, call it a talent, I don't know. But it's about spotting other people's talent and losing myself in their gifts. So it's when you're in this period of nothingness, it's deeply, deeply difficult. But of course, so it is for artists who can't act and singers who can't sing. Who are we when we can't do the thing we're on the earth to do? Yeah, I mean, I've always been defined by my work. I mean, everybody I know is from my world, is from theatre. I don't have friends outside. I've lived and breathed this world. And here I am at the Palace Theatre, where this theatre is where I first decided I was going to work in theatre. Why? Because, back to my family, sorry, but Maria was in Oklahoma in this theatre. She was playing Adoani, the understudy to Adoani and Laurie. And she would have been 17 or 18 years old, really young. But I'm five years younger than her. And I was, I'm pointing now to the, what was then the prompt corner. And Maria said, come and watch the show from the wings. So I watched it, stood there, stage right, downstage right, prompt corner. And the actors, the dancers... The ensemble were all on stage, running off with quick changes in the corner, crew members. And I found myself, I was on a spinning chair, and I found myself watching what was going on behind. And I was transfixed by the world behind the stage. And I was transfixed by that line between the on and the off, this illusion, this magic... And I knew there and then that theatre was what I was going to work in, but I also knew there and then that it wasn't going to be on stage. I didn't know what it was going to be. But it was a fantastic moment in my life because I was a bit lost and I'd more or less left home myself by this age, but I'd now gone to a boarding school which was paid for by the local council. And in the holidays I used to go and stay with my older sister Sarah. And I didn't really go home much after that. Um, And so at the age of 13, I was already starting to think about how can I earn money and what can I do? And so, yeah, here at the palace is where it started for me, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to be here today. Mm. There's this lovely book called The Soul's Code by James Hillman, who's a Jungian analyst. He offers, can we live a life that... Whatever our childhood is heroic, romantic, 
that we feel like the hero of our own story? And can we live a life that's devoted to who we uniquely are, our soul? And he goes through various people, for example, Ella Fitzgerald, who had a similar epiphany at an early moment in her life where she was in a talent show on a Broadway stage and at the last minute she takes the paper out of the compere's hand and says, no, 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 I don't want to dance, I'm going to sing and play the piano. Mm. Mm. And you had a moment like that where you looked and you thought, I want to be behind this line. Yeah. And that's what has given you such meaning. I wanted to be behind the line that creates the magic. Yeah. 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 Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you read that last verse and I need to know if the past is what it seems or just a rosy glow of memories and dreams... And how unreliable memory is, it mm-hmm. takes me to Inside Out, which is a Pixar film, for those who haven't seen it, from 2015. I recommend everyone watches it because it is so imaginative, psychedelic, profound. There's a whole team of psychologists and neuroscientists working on it. And the way it manages to speak to adults and young people is really sublime. But something in that film to do with the first choice of the song is really interesting which is there are five sub-personalities to the protagonist of the film who's a girl called Riley. They represent the kind of main emotion groups anger, joy, disgust, fear and sadness and just as in the song there's this struggle with what's true How do I look back on my past? One of the climactic parts of Inside Out is the sub-personality sadness Mm. turning all the memories blue, if if you like, (laughs) the opposite of golden. Yes. And it really made me think... Oh, I hadn't thought about the connection with golden and the golden balls. Yeah, because joy is indexed as golden. And do you think we have agency in terms of the stories we tell ourselves about our past? Can we decide to change a memory blue, depending on how we're feeling, or golden? Totally. That film, I think, is so important for all children and all parents, frankly, anybody, to see, because actually it's about mental health in young people and how to accept and embrace and understand 
these universal emotions that create who we are. And I love the very simple message at the centre of it, which is so important to understand, which is you cannot have happiness without sadness. They coexist. And when you understand that, it's such a, a relief and a release to understand that sadness and fear and anger are really important emotions that can lead towards moments of great joy, great happiness. The emotion they miss is surprise. That's the sixth universal emotion, which of course we are dealing with every day right now, is huge surprise. I would call it shock. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it amazing that a Pixar animation can actually do more for you, for one, than possibly years and years of analysis? Certainly for me. I saw it when it first came out, and I was an absolute emotional wreck at the end. But my God, I've thought about it so often, and I've also thought about memories in relation to that film but also how it relates to me and all of us that your blue memories can equally be golden memories because at your saddest you look back and you can say my god I came through that or at your saddest times that's the moment you realize you've got this incredible network of friends and people around you who love you and you love them. At your saddest times, you know, losing my dog. Instead of being blue about losing this dog that was everything to me, I go back and I think of all those incredibly beautiful moments we had instead. But that changes, doesn't it? Depending on where you are in your life cycle and what's happened to you that day and what you've woken up feeling and believing. And I think it's actually one of the most important films about how to understand emotion and mental health in young people, particularly young people who are struggling. Yeah. And I put myself in that category. Yeah. I was... I had mental health issues as a child... Um, I had a psychiatrist as a kid and it would have been very, very helpful if I'd have been able to see that film then. Yeah. Actually, right at the end of the film, there's a fusion between joy and sadness where they make a ball, a memory ball, a core memory, blue and golden. Yeah. It has both. And that duality. And loss and sadness, of course... Um, the film seems to suggest is a guide to how to live a more rich life. Have you let sadness in as a kind of anchor? I think it's not just letting sadness in, just acknowledging and accepting that it is going to be part of your life and not fighting yeah. all these different emotions. And, you know, in the film, joy, it's, I'm going to make sure you are happy yes. every day. And it's going, that's just... yeah. That's not possible. Was that the role you played in your family, Joy? I'm going to take it all on. Um, 
organize not, everybody no no when i was very young on no on it was actually if anything before they left home it was then taking that on for me yeah we love you sonia mm. i was embraced i was surrounded by adoration and love and then as i say it, it all disappeared very quickly no i think later on in life and even now i'm as a producer yeah my job what ever is happening to me however shitty my day's been or however difficult it is is to come in and be upbeat and be strong and to be joyful and to encourage i think it's one of the challenges i have doing what i do as we're having a very honest conversation is to always be upbeat and joyful when i just want to crumble yeah but that's not allowed in my role it just no. isn't it's part of the deal sure the actors and the directors and the designers and the team around you are not there to prop you up that's my job so yeah i am a good actor too sometimes as well yeah yeah and i was thinking about the archetype in the film of fear for the producer because yes sustaining joy is exhausting but even when the car is moving along the road beautifully the producer like the fear archetype is scanning the road for landmines and i wondered whether you identified with that archetype because there's a great moment where riley has her first day at school and <laughs> fear is like i'm almost finished with the potential disasters and you have to come up with all the time all the potential yeah. disasters and is that lonely does it mean that anything can be easily enjoyed? It's very lonely, but... Um, does it mean you... Loneliness you said, is fine with me, though, because okay. I love watching others be happy. I love being on the outside, as it were, watching the party happen and almost creating the party, making sure the party's going with a bang, but not necessarily being at the centre of the party. I'm fine with that. Me too. What you're having to do as a producer at all times, as you say is think ahead, look round corners. And so, unfortunately, you do sort of have to live in a sort of slightly pessimistic mm. mindset, which is you're always thinking about everything that can go wrong mm. while ensuring that you're also making sure everyone feels like it's going right. Mm. And, of course, the more you are figuring out how to stop something going wrong or putting in the contingencies and always trying to be three or four steps ahead. It does mean that you do sort of inhabit quite a negative space quite a lot of the time. And one of my problems has always been living in the present. Mm. Um, I think it's such a valuable thing to be able to do and I cannot do it. Never have been able to and even now during the pandemic... I can't. I'm always thinking ahead. Even when I should be celebrating a great moment or triumph, I'm always on to the next. Yeah. And that's just the way it's always been with me. And I've, I've just sort of accepted that. I can't try and be the other person that's going to get drunk at the party, let their hair down and go, whoa, I'm just... I mean, it's very, very, very rare. I'm not worrying about the next thing. That's 
possibly why I'm able to do so many things at the same time. That's possibly why I've had a fair amount of success because I never stop worrying about everything else and everybody I've made promises to and everybody who I know is relying on me waking up the following morning and keeping going. Yes, I've seen you marshal shows with great generosity of spirit, support, constructive guiding and the applause might happen on an opening night and immediately you're vigilant about, I don't know, the flowers the actors get in the curtain call. Did the evening standard take a picture? <laughs> what are the reviews that are coming in? What does that mean for sales? And if you're choosing in some sacrificial way to deny yourself the joy, do you feel a secret joy at having done a great job and allowed other people to feel the joy? Oh, yes. Good. Oh, yeah. And the adrenaline, the sense of personal achievement Good. when something that I've been part of and enabled has gone well or better than expected or triumphant or frankly we've got away with it um <laughs> is yeah it's extraordinary it's brilliant feeling of course but i think what i'm saying is it doesn't last very long but it does mean you know there is an exhaustion always i mean in the last two hours our film was announced right the two of us i don't know how we did it but we've pulled it off you know, we were in the middle of editing right now. But the day after filming, I couldn't move. I was so exhausted. But it was because of the energy we'd had to find to do that and create that and bring everybody together was much more than in normal times. But also putting my head down on that pillow, going, fuck it, I did that. I, I did that. And of course, in, in this instance, we did it together. But ultimately, I know that had I given up at any hurdles, it wouldn't have happened. Sure. So it's like, I did that. Yeah. And that's an incredible sense of satisfaction. And so I do get joy, but it doesn't last very long. <laughs> You're talking about uh, <laughs> film we made last week of the production of Uncle Vanya that was in the Harold Pinter Theatre, a play by Chekhov that was arrested by the pandemic and through all sorts of amazing, bold actions, we used the COVID protocols and we made a film of it. And I'm struck by this dilemma you raise of how can I live in the present? Will I ever live in the present? Because... I'm reaching back into the meaning of my past and I'm using that and I'm very much concerned with the short and medium term future and you know yogis, sages have spent lifetimes working on how do we live fully in the present but I offer you, I bet you, when you're watching a run through, when you're talking to a playwright, that's when you're in the present because to be completely focused and attuned that's when you really do live in a very rich present ah yes okay 
Yes, I think when I'm talking about the moving on, I am literally talking about the opening night. That's the moment. But every piece of work I'm ever involved in, in real time, at that moment, it is the most important thing I've ever done, yeah. actually. And it can be something as massive as this show we're sitting here, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, or something as small as a monologue, one-person show, whatever it is. They are all incredibly special and powerful, important to me because I have such care for everything that I do. And I only ever want to produce something that actually I want to see myself and I want to experience myself and I want to nourish myself with in some form it can be a, a musical or it can be a pinterplay it's not me being insincere or hyperbolic when i say this is so amazing because that is what it is to me at that moment yes so i'm offering you a story about yourself which is you actually really do spend a lot of time in the present and a very heightened, vivid, meaningful present, which comes out of the immersion in the work. And you might be surprised in that story that you possibly spend more time in the present than you think, and more time than many others. Where I'd challenge you on that is that my time in the present doesn't last as long as maybe others, because it's the way my brain is wired thinking about so many other things that yes I can put on hold but I can't put on hold for very long mm. I don't know what's to do with some sort of attention deficit problem or um, but I can't keep still for very long now I haven't done mindfulness I don't do meditation I've tried I fail you know, I can't do it because my brain just goes... Um, the number of times I've sat in the theatre here watching that, of course, I'm lost in time. When a show starts, yeah, then time stands still and it's just the present then, me and that experience. But I'll probably quite quickly be back on the phone or be moving things along. And I think, you know, my job is about constantly moving things along constantly keeping momentum going constantly encouraging you know that so if I'm in the present I wouldn't be able to achieve the amount I achieve yeah well you're saying you're in a kind of symphonic space where you're in the present but you're projecting into the future and you have this undertow of past well the, really... the past informs everything I yeah. do I've often wondered about my memories and have I made some of them up? And is that always, was it real? And I've decided that it doesn't really matter. Those memories have become real to me and therefore because of that they have helped inform who I am. And these aren't necessarily dark memories, these are just memories. These are just things that happened or, or indeed going back Back before my time, my family memories of my ancestors, I still don't know whether we've made up those family memories to do with our great-grandparents um, in Russia. But I'm not sure at the moment it matters because the family have decided these are our memories. 
And I'm not sure we get by trying to unpick and to challenge memories if they are actually how we keep going. Yeah, all the neurological research bears this out, that the part of the brain that we remember with is really close in proximity to the part of the brain we create with. And I think in many ways that's very freeing. You spoke about, unless I drive things on, it's not going to happen. Yet your last cultural offering today, this is a beautiful poem by Kathleen Rain called Change, seems much more zen. doesn't feel like you're the architect of your own life in this. The way you spoke then about your life, you're really in the centre of it, incredibly active. But it interests me that you've brought a third thing today, which feels to me gentler and almost more Buddhist about how change happens almost apart from yourself. Yes, well, our mutual friend Mark Rylance sent me this. Did he? When we were doing a production of a play called Boeing Boeing on Broadway. And I was going through a very particularly difficult time and... Mark sent me this poem and the difficult time I was going through was a, was a massive relationship breakup that knocked me sideways and inside out and it was also at a time when I realised I probably wouldn't have children of my own and Mark just sent me this poem and I read it and like all great art it can come along just at the right moment and help you realign and I understood just from reading this poem that change is inevitable and change can be good but fundamentally we cannot stop change and that is also why this poem matters right now because change it's out of our control what's happening and we are going to change and the world is changing and nature is changing and the environment is changing. Humankind is changing and there's nothing we can do to stop that. Pandemic or no pandemic, it's just going to keep evolving. And giving into that is a good thing. It doesn't mean to say you can't be empowered and an agency for your own decisions, and but it's also really good to remind ourselves isn't it that change is going to happen is that consoling and uplifting yes yes it is it is i mean not all change we want and not all change is good if i was had power i would get rid of social media i think social media is a disaster you know i would like to change that but social media is changing the world Let's hear the poem. Change, said the sun to the moon. You cannot stay. Change, says the moon to the waters. All is flowing. Change, says the fields to the grass. Seed time and harvest, chaff and grain. You must change, said, said the worm to the bud, though not to a rose. Petals fade, that wings may rise, borne on the wind. 
You are changing, said death to the maiden, your one face, to memory, to beauty. Are you ready to change, says the thought to the heart, to let her pass all your life long? For the unknown, the unborn, in the alchemy of the world's dream, you will change, says the stars to the sun, says the night to the stars. Beautifully read. How do you feel after speaking it? Because they're the only words on the West End stage tonight. Kathleen Rain, yes. read by Sonia Friedman. Hmm. Feels good. Your face is shining. And feels really good. something really well, lovely about that. To say it out loud, because actually, I actually live with a writer and a young poet, and he recites poetry all the time and I listen to him but I never do it myself and actually I think when you read it out loud it goes in even more than just reading it and when you read it here well reading it on a stage reading it on this stage and understanding how I've changed how we've changed how the world is changing gives me hope yeah gives me hope that yes everything's changing but I feel a lot better than I did when I started because when I started and I walked through the stage door, I felt maybe this is it and that I have my past and I have the now, the present, but I don't know that there's a future. And I feel having read that, of course, there is a future, but it's not what I imagine it's going to be. But because change is inevitable and because I'm going to embrace change, what it will be will be very exciting, but I don't know what it is yet. What I Love was created and hosted by me, Ian Rickson. This episode was recorded at the Palace Theatre and is produced by Sarah Murray for Storyglass. And during our conversation, Sonia and I discussed... The song, The Golden Days, performed by Maria Friedman, with lyrics by Jeremy Sams from her album Now and Then on Sony Classical Records. The film, Inside Out, directed by Pete Doctor and produced by Pixar Animation Studios. And the poem Change by Kathleen Rain, first published by the Temenos Review. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.